of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? This is my country. for populism with a purpose. Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician, and she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. Good morning, and welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. For those of you on either side of the climate change debate, today is the 15th of December, and we, Central Californians, have had measurable rainfall every single day so far this month. The one thing we can say with relative certainty is it looks like the 2019-2020 winter weather will not result in a drought this summer in California. That's because in some cases, we have had a thousand times in the Santa Cruz Mountains, this from, from late November to mid-December, we have had 1,000 times our normal <laughs> rainfall. But there's no rain expected this afternoon for the second-to-last 49er home game of the season. You know, they do have a special deal with the rain goddesses because it may rain last night and tonight, but this afternoon it will be crystal clear. It will also be the last home game, quote-unquote, of the Oakland Raiders. The Raiders. Which which I, I assume they will actually get rain. Knowing their luck, knowing Raider fan, fan luck, it'll somehow rain in o- right over Oakland, but not in Santa Clara. No, I, I think they'll actually have clear weather because I'm expecting the first game that they play in Las Vegas next year, there will be a monsoon. You know, a late, de- a a, a summer monsoon in the desert because they deserve that for the way they've treated their Oakland fans. Or one of those crazy sandstorms. You ever? Oh yeah. Those, those sandstorms. Those are nuts. Mm-hmm, those are... I think their new stadium is going to have a, have a retractable roof though. It doesn't matter. If you have a monsoon, you have flash floods, have fun getting there. Anyway. <clears throat> In the news this week. (laughs) There was news this week? Uh, Yeah, there was. Impossible. There was. And you know what they're going to do this week in the dark of night? Because they haven't had time during all of their breaks and vacations and junkets, etc. They haven't, you know, in the all-important congressional ball that some people missed... Um, they haven't had time to vote on a few unimportant little pieces of legislation like 
the National Defense Authorization Act. Now, don't get me started on that because we could go way off on a tangent, but maybe we will. Please explain to me how the National Defense Authorization Act is the right place to put a brand new federal benefit of 12 weeks of paid um, parental leave for all new parents in the federal workforce. Now, I'm not taking a position yay or nay on 12 weeks of paid uh, parental leave for all members of the uh, civilian workforce since it is um, a benefit in the military. Um, But I'm saying if you want to make that piece of legislation, then you should make a law and you sh- a bit or write a bill and put that bill on the floor and have it vote up or down on its own merits not sneak it into a completely unrelated piece of legislation on which the national defense of the entire country depends and that is the sneaky way that legislation gets created and as taxpayers We ought not to allow that. We ought not to tolerate that kind of abuse of the the legislative process. That takes sausage making to a whole new level of uh, incredulity. I can't say it. Uh, It's too early on Sunday morning and I haven't had enough coffee, but it makes me incredulous about legislation. And I think it's one of the reasons that as as citizens, we have such a sense that we don't control um, what our government does to us and for us because of all this convoluted stuff, you know, in, 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 in technology, you see some similar things in the old days um, when they would keep adding to programs until the whole thing just didn't work. And, and that's really the direction that we are moving in terms of the mechanism of government when we do something so silly as putting 12 weeks of parental leave inside the National Secu- the National Defense Authorization Act. Now that I've sermonized about the difference between writing good legislation on which the citizenry can opine in bad legislation which does it on to um, the citizenry because all that leave is going to end up on the national debt, i.e. the taxpayer's credit card. Um, let's look at what else happened this week or will what will happen this week. Um, it looks like NAFTA 2.0 or the USMCA uh, is actually going to pass the House of Representatives before they take their recess on the 21st. Now, there are some really interesting, it it isn't really a big change over NAFTA, but there are some interesting components in terms of better, uh, increasing the average wage that qualifies for duty-free status um, in terms of goods that flow back and forth between the three contiguous countries of North America. Um, And also, um, it does have some provisions for better security and 
um, you know, uh, and and so forth. It it, it has stronger. Um, it it takes some of the U.S. enforced uh, technology. You know, the avoidance, uh, the anti um, uh, child pornography, and so forth um, provisions and. It does have some interesting provisions, which I think will not get through the Senate in in terms of the length of time that the Canadian and Mexican governments have to wait before they can bring um, biosimilar generic drugs to market. And I think that will cause some problems in the Senate. Now, the House is going to pass the treaty this week. The Senate will not take it up until after it takes up the subject of the impeachment of Donald J. Trump, the 45th president of the United States, which is expected by the House of Representatives this week. And despite what you heard in the lead-in to this show this morning about polling, the polling is all over the place on this subject. And I think we won't know um, what's going to happen until it happens. And so um, I thought maybe what we should do today is spend some time talking about why Ukraine matters to the United States citizen at all. I mean, we, we all know what what the two articles of impeachment are about. You know, one is an abuse of power and the second is the obstruction of Congress. Frankly, I'm more concerned about the second one. I mean, the the founding fathers thought Congress, the representatives of the people, was set up so that they would govern and the the president, the executive, would execute the laws that Congress had passed. And over time, that dynamic has changed. And President Trump's refusal to cooperate, to work with Congress um, in terms of their oversight role is, um, has reached a whole new high. And so that is an issue worthy of debate as a constitutional matter Uh, and because it impacts not just this presidency but every presidency that follows it and so you know i think that one is important but we've heard so much about ukraine and i know we've talked about the history of ukraine um, before, because I have a, a business associate who actually is a, a Ukrainian, and we were fortunate enough to spend some time together in New Mexico. And so if you go back to October, you will find a interesting um, history of Ukraine and, and, what, and what the Ukrainians see as the issues. But this week, just this week, someone said to on, and I can't remember who it was, that with Ukraine, Russia becomes an important part, uh, power 
without Ukraine, Russia's nothing but a big filling station. And that got me to thinking that maybe what we ought to talk about is why does Ukraine matter to our national security? And we'll be back in just a moment to talk a little about that. Listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And you know, um, over the past few weeks, I've, I've kept thinking that I was getting a, um, I was getting a whole new education. Maybe I could challenge the constitutional law portion of the California bar exam. But, you know, I was really intrigued by that comment about global power for Russia with Ukraine, if it could bring Ukraine back into its control, versus little Russia, just a big filling station. So I thought maybe, maybe since it's pretty clear that the, the Democrats have the votes in the House to um, pass these articles of impeachment. Um, I think maybe we should understand why Ukraine is important to us, to the United States of America. And maybe that will give us some different perspective on the situation um, that we are confronted by. Because it's pretty well uncontested. The evidence tells us that Donald Trump did, in concert with Rudy Giuliani and several members of his own administration, of the Trump administration, that is, try to get the Ukrainians' newly elected president to become involved in a domestic political, USA domestic political scheme that was aimed at the former Vice President Joe Biden, who is viewed by many as the most potent um, potential Democratic nominee um, to actually take on Trump and, and you know, do battle. It, it will certainly not be like Nixon and McGovern. Um, <clears throat> but, and the polling since before Biden entered the race, has shown um, that most of the Democratic candidates are running ahead of President Trump in most of the so-called 12 battleground states. Um, They're actually quite close even in Texas. So I think think the, um, the politics of this should not and cannot be dismissed. But Le Faire Ukraine goes so much further and has such a sweeping impact on American politics writ large that it really does deserve uh, some fact-based, information-based conversation, okay? And when I say it has a sweeping impact on our politics writ large, 
Um, you know, we can't get rid of these silly conspiracy theories that have long been debunked by 17 intelligence agencies, including the Defense Intelligence Agency, which is definitely not a bastion of liberal of liberalism in the current definition. It is a bastion of classic 18th century liberalism, which is where the conservative movement was born, but that's a subject for a very different day. So the conspiracy theories long debunked, whether you want to talk about crowdsource, if you want to find crowdsource's software, it's on servers in Sunnyvale, California. Um, or if you want to talk about, and, and, and I'm not going to go into the um, conversation about the server because the server does not exist. It's not the way we manage data in the 21st century. Um, or you want to talk about Ukrainian in influence or interference in our election. Yeah, some people wrote a few editorials um, after then-candidate Trump said he, he wasn't really sure about whether or not Crimea should be a part of Russia or a part of Ukraine. And the Ukrainians took, you know, the Ukrainian ambassador after, you know, Crimea had been forcibly annexed to Russia was a little irate about that comment. So that's where the concept that the Ukrainians interfered. They Somebody wrote an editorial, um, and, and that's the level factual level of interference, okay? That's Russian disinformation, according to Fiona Hill, Trump's own Russia expert. And, and what we have seen in these hearings troubles me deeply because we have seen an abandonment of fact, reason, and law in the Congress of the United States. And the fact that they get away with that and they think that enhances their reelection chances reflects really negatively on the general level of civic literacy in the United States. A um, couple of pollsters have actually postulated that only about 25% of high school graduates in the United States can tell a pollster correctly what the three branches of government are and how they relate. Less than half can actually define the term checks and balances and fewer know how the founding fathers thought those checks and balances would play out in the body politic and in the conduct of the nation's business. And that is sad, it is unworthy, it is unsavory, and it is unfortunate. But you know, knowing that that problem exists may be the first step toward finding a solution. And I want you to set that aside because that's a subject all in its own for another day. Because none of those things get to the heart of, what, of the matter. The question that is before the American people is, did Donald J. Trump betray his constitutional oath to protect and defend 
the United States of America. So help me God. And he's less guilty because he asked a favor that in its execution would violate U.S. election law, which bars participation by a foreign national or a foreign government in any way in our elections. The issue, the focus of this debate should have been on what are the consequences of weakening this young Ukrainian president and his bargaining position as he bargains with Russia to end the Donbass war in eastern Ukraine. How does, how does weakening Zelensky damage U.S. national security? Because it does. Because how many of you who listen to all of those hearings can now explain the strategic importance of Ukraine to NATO, the freedom of the Balkans, and the European Union. You know, um, just raise your cup of coffee if, if you want to give answering that question a try. But I'm going to assume most of your coffee cups are still on the table. A good assumption based on how many people actually downloaded my October podcast about Ukraine from the perspective of a business associate, as I said earlier, who is a Ukrainian national. She's a U.S. citizen. Um, she teaches at the university level in the United States. But she was born, raised, and educated in the Ukraine. And she speaks, and she has family in the Ukraine, and she speaks both Ukrainian and Russian. So if you want to know more about Ukraine from a Ukrainian perspective, just scroll down the list of podcasts at the Reimagine site on ricochet.com and you'll find it. Um, or just go up to the upper right corner and do a find on Ukraine because the word is in the title of the show. <clears throat> but we have to talk about the Ukraine itself in, in its geopolitical um, sense in order to help you to get an understanding of why this relationship Getting this relationship right is so important to both the Ukrainians and the United States. How many of you know that Ukraine is actually the largest country in Europe? Or that if you look at its northern, toward its northern border with Russia, Chernobyl of, you know, of nuclear accident fame, um, which certainly had an impact on the U.S. nuclear industry. But Chernobyl is actually now in Ukraine, not in Russia. So they got stuck with, this, with the thousand-year problem. So Ukraine is the largest country in, in Europe. It's more or less been under Russian hegemony um, from the 17th century reign of Peter the Great, to the apex of the Russian Imperial Empire in 1918, when the Bolshevik Re Revolution, the murder of the Tsar, and the end of World War I should have brought things to a rapid climax. But didn't work out that way. And, and one of the things I learned in doing the research for today's program that I didn't know was that you, Ukraine begged for recognition as a separate and independent country, as did many of the Balkan states, 
in the negotiations to end World War One, the Treaty of Serve. Um, and we'll be back in just a moment on that hanging thought to talk about why Ukraine didn't get independence in 1918. You're listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org, reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. So, as I as I said before we went to break, Ukraine's aspirations to be an independent or the Ukrainian people's aspirations to be an independent, self-reliant, self-supporting nation. Um, outside the Russian orb dates back to the end of the First World War, so a hundred years. And, and there had been significant, I mean, they'd been a, a protectorate, a part of whatever, um, of greater Mother Russia uh, since the time of Peter the Great, which is the six, mid-1600s. Um, and and Russia had done an effective job of trying to suppress the native language and customs and so forth. Also, um, it's not a homogeneous um, single tribal relationship, this, these Ukrainians. There are Tartars and Cossacks, and it, it's a very interesting and complex country, put it that way. But it also sits at a really important juncture, and that's why we need to understand it. Um, Ukraine is really rich in natural resources, including natural harbors. And so uh, there were at least two major natural seaports um, on the Black Sea before the Russians started to build Sevastopol that you know um, of from both the charge of the Light Brigade and the recent annexation of Crimea by Russia because that's a large naval uh, Russian naval port, but um, it, it was it, the building of the Russians actually began to build Sevastopol following Crimea's annexation under Catherine the Great in the middle 1700s. Um, and and from Catherine's time on, Crimea was subject to mass migration to a displacement of its na- of its native Tartar population by a mass movement of Russians to build the city, to man the shipyards, etc. That's one of the important reasons when you talk about Russia as a geopolitical power. Uh, <clears throat> in fact, most of their big um, Soviet-era um, naval vessels, etc., et were actually built in those Ukrainian ports. That was a made so the loss of access uh, in the during the um, post-Soviet period uh, has had a significant military impact on Russia, but that's not the only impact. Ukraine is enormous; it's rich in natural resources, um, and it had when the Soviet empire suddenly collapsed in 1991, a huge portion of the stored Russian armament. 
And by that, I mean nuclear weapons. And an enormous component of Russian military manpower within its borders, some of which returned to Russia and some of which, a major portion of which, including a lot of people in the Sevastopol area, remained in the newly uh, freed Ukraine. But Ukraine wanted to become a nation. And that meant um, they needed certain kinds of security guarantees. It is also extremely expensive and very dangerous to harbor nuclear weapons within your border and be responsible for the fact for those weapons not falling into the wrong hands. So in 1994, the Ukraine surrendered this huge nuclear arsenal it had inherited um, in return for a guarantee from the United States, Great Britain, or the United Kingdom, um, I think we may be calling it Great Britain again after this Brexit vote. Um, France, Germany, and Russia. All right. All five of the big powers guaranteed the Ukrainians that if they gave all of those weapons back to the supervision of the UN Atomic Energy Agency, who could monitor them on Russian soil, that indeed these five nations would guarantee the, tech, the territorial integrity of the Ukraine. In the decade between, 1990, between 1994 and 2004, a lot of things happened in parallel in Ukraine that contribute directly to the situation we find ourselves in now and the one we must acknowledge in order to move forward. So let's take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, let's see if we can use the rest of our time to understand those parallels and how we move forward. You're listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org, reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. So, as I said before we went to break, the decade between 1994 and 2004, um, there are several parallel facts that are all going to kind of converge in 2004. Corruption on a grand scale as the bureaucrats of the former Soviet Union became the oligarchy of a newly liberated Ukraine. I mean, if you were sitting atop the oil industry as an apparatchik in the in the Russian system when the um, Soviet Union collapsed in 1994, you were still sitting atop the energy department in Ukraine, except now you could go, how much of that can I take for myself? So, um, and in that, you will find the origins of Burisma. Okay, so there is corruption. There was corruption on a grand scale. There still is corruption in, in Ukraine. And that's one of the 
problems, one of the promises Zelensky made as a candidate was to clean up that corruption. Now, hold that thought for just a second. Because the second fact is that there are divisions between national Ukrainians and the Russian emigre population. And so Russia makes this argument that they need to have a sphere of influence or what they call their near far, okay, in order to protect those Russians within the so-called borders of Ukraine. Now, we could debate that, but we don't have that much time. Um, A third fact that emerges that has a lot to do with why Zelensky is now the president of Ukraine is that there is a younger generation that wants to enjoy more of the fruits that they see in the European Union. And they prefer that system that they see to their West, to the old Soviet regime, that they see the worst elements of manifested to their East. So these parallel streams coalesced in what's called the Mon- the Maidan Revolution or the Orange Revolution in 2004 and a second uprising of the young professional classes in 2014 who want more freedom, closer ties to Western Europe, and an end to corruption. And it was during the chaos following the 2014 uprising Um, that the pretext was created by Russia that they needed to insert troops into Crimea and Donbass, which is the eastern Ukraine, which is where the current fighting is going on and where our Javelin missiles are supposed to be deployed. But here's the deal. That was a pretext under which the Russians claimed that they were going to annex they were staged a referendum and then annexed Crimea saying that they needed to protect this Russian population which is BS what followed is a history of sanctions and resistance to those sanctions what makes the Ukraine what makes Crimea so important to the Russians okay when we really get down to it With Ukraine, Russia is a significant power, but without Ukraine, Russia is just a filling station. And there are five reasons for that statement. Ukraine is the largest supplier of agricultural products to its European neighbors. That one's going to surprise you, huh? Ukraine has a heavy industry segment and even more capability that can't be matched by the Russians. Ukraine has abundant natural gas. And today, it is the the largest company, which is called Naftagaz, is headed by a non-corrupt CEO who is, in fact, a U.S. citizen and who last week actually appeared before the grand jury investigating Rudy Giuliani and, and his two buddies, Lev and Igor. And it was the attempt to displace this non-corrupt CEO by Julie's by 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 Giuliani's two criminally indicted buddies that started all who want to build a less credible a less a more corrupt for you know an enrichment scheme for themselves in a liquefied natural gas um, company that they want to use to replace or, or supplement nafta gas in Ukraine. So stay tuned for more from the SD from the Southern District of, or as they like to think of themselves, the Sovereign District of New York. 
in terms of the most effective federal prosecutors in the system because they're probably going to take Love into custody. He's probably going to spend Christmas in custody because he lied about a million dollars that he got directly from Russia when he was filling out his asset statement for bail. But we digress because Ukraine hosts the pipelines through which Russian oil and natural gas flow from Mother Russia to Western Europe. Okay, say that again. Ukraine hosts the pipelines through which Russian oil and natural gas flow from Mother Russia to Western Europe. All of a sudden you're beginning to say, oh, now I'm getting why that's important. And Ukraine sits geographically between Russia and Central and Western Europe. So here's why it is so important to us, okay? While it is not a member of NATO, Ukraine and its proxy war with Russia actually protect us from further Russian adventurism in the Balkans. And the Balkans, like Finland and Latvia, et cetera, are NATO members. It also protects NATO from further incursions into the republics of Georgia and Belarus. We want to keep our powder dry in Europe. And we want a free and independent set of states within the European Union on the continent of Europe. And the Ukraine is the critical buffer between Russia and the NATO-aligned Western European countries. So it is in our direct national security to strengthen this young president. Last but not least, Ukraine's seaports, including Sevastopol, provide Russia with free passage through the Bosporus Straits and the Turkey Straits into the Mediterranean Sea. It was for that exact access, that free passage, that Imperial Russia actually entered World War I. They would have sat back and watched, but they wanted to make sure that they could lay claim to free access from the Black Sea into the Mediterranean. And that is still true today, and that is what makes the Syrian port of Tartus, which is now leased to the Russian Navy, a serious threat to U.S. and NATO freedom of navigation in the Mediterranean Sea. So are you beginning to see why messing around with the independence and the security and the strength of the Ukraine. (gasps) I'm sorry, they don't like you to say the Ukraine. They want to be known as Ukraine. No, the, okay, because that's a Russian um, affectation. You've seen on the news pictures of Russian planes and ships that have made what what our Navy calls unprofessional and hostile, and those two words are in quotes. Moves toward U.S. and NATO allied ships and personnel over the five years since the annexation of Crimea by Russia. Now that you can see the geopolitical importance to Western Europe, to the allied, independent, democratic states of Europe, and the United States of America, NATO's strongest member, along with our Canadian partners, this new Inexperienced president of Ukraine needs all the help he and NATO can get to discourage future adventurism by a corrupt and dictatorial Russian despot. And I want to hang on to that thought for just a moment, and we'll be back with a couple of closing thoughts. 
You're listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And so now I hope I've given you a better picture of why Ukraine matters to national security of the United States and why this young, inexperienced president needs all the help he can get from us, from our very capable diplomatic corps. Um, Because he's got a huge job to do from securing the Eastern Front in Ukraine and ending the war in Donbass that has killed 13,000 of his citizens. And he wants to end corruption in his government so that he can attract Western investment. Um, And he wants to get a good trade deal with the European Union because trade brings Ukraine closer to the West. And the closer those ties are, without cutting their ties to Europe, without saying, no, you can't have pipelines or whatever, um, the more that they can balance, use their geo, uh, their, their geographic posture to balance um, the relationship between Russia and, and Western Europe, the stronger that all of Europe is and the less threat there is to the NATO members who under Article 5, we would have to come to the rescue of. There's a great Vince Flynn book out last year that would, that lays this out in um, heart-stopping uh, Mitch Rapp fashion. And I will, uh, if I can remember, I'll look up the title. But in any case... There is also a need to get a better deal from Russia over those pipelines because those pipelines, one, they've been used uh, to leverage uh, geopolitic by Russia. They just cut off the pipelines. And secondly, because the tariff on that gas and oil is a major source of income to Ukraine. So I ask, with all of this stuff on his plate plus trying to make progress on on ending the occupation by Russia of Crimea. Does Zelensky really need the distraction of a corrupt American attempt to involve him in our domestic politics? I don't think so. And just in case you think Foreign Minister Lavrov just happened to be in Washington last Thursday and got an Oval Office meeting... Congress was voting sanctions against the Russians who, and they, it was bipartisan, it was a voice vote, uh, because the Russians are trying to build a underwater pipeline so that they can go around Ukraine, around the EU, uh, and control the flow of oil and, West, and natural gas into Western Europe. And they cannot build the pipeline without American technology. And so Congress, this past Thursday, while Labrov was in town, passed sanctions to prevent that American technology from being used by the Russians to build an undersea liquefied gas pipeline. Because if anybody's going to build that, we want to build it. Because it's in our strategic interest to do so. And it's all of these strategic, long-term, geopolitical 
keep the peace, keep Europe strong factors and considerations that make President Trump's actions vis-a-vis President Zelensky and Ukraine so egregious and such a risk to our natural national security. And it's the risk to our national security that makes the hubris potentially impeachable. And on that note, we'll talk again before Christmas. Subscribe to the Reimagine America podcast at reimagineamerica.org and ricochet.com. Email Joyce at Joyce at Reimagine America Radio. Follow her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy, all one word. And you can follow the show at Reimagine Radio. This has been Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Take a minute now and go to www.reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum, donate, tell others, and sign up to receive future podcasts. That's reimagineamerica.org. And join us again next week for Reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.